morning, Trinity Church. How are we doing? All right, my name is Hilke Hilkema. That is my real name. People always ask me, so I always just throw it out there. I'm the student ministries pastor here at church, and it's my privilege to, to share from God's word with you this morning. I want to take you back to 1000 BC, and I want you to meet a man. He's a, he's a very influential man. He's a, he's a great leader. He's accomplished in battle, in the arts, musician. People look up to him. He has accomplished much in his life. He's well known. Well known throughout the area, throughout the region, throughout all the lands. For his courage, his bravery in battle, for his great mind. See, he's brilliant. He was wise, influential, a great, great leader. He was the king of Israel. And his name is David. He's on his rooftop palace, on his patio. He's kind of reclining. It's been a hot day. Sun's setting. There's a gentle breeze blowing. Feels really nice. He's got his attendants uh, making him some food and, and some beverages, and uh, life's pretty good. The city is a little quieter this season because really most of the men, almost all of the men, are out in battle because it's springtime, and you know, as you know, springtime is the time for war. It's when the territorial battles were fought. Springtime is when the men would go out and fight. This year, David stayed back. He kind of reasoned in his mind, um, he's, he's fought a lot of battles, let's face it. Not as young as he used to be. It was, it was okay for him to take it, uh, to take it easy, to enjoy the, enjoy the good life on the rooftop patio. But no, he should have been with his men. He should have been there, but he wasn't. He's relaxing. He got up from his, uh, from his lounge chair, put his Kindle down, put his drink down, and um, kind of strolled on the roof, and the sun was even setting a little bit lower now. Then his eye caught a woman bathing. She's beautiful. He kind of, in his mind, quickly discovered from where he was at, she probably wouldn't see him. So a look turned into a second look. His mind began to wander. A second look turned into a stare. And still, she did not see him. 
His mind be, became filled with erotic thoughts as this woman was bathing. And the stare turned into a, a leer, a leer for more. He wanted more. And as king, he could make that happen. Thinking back, he's not even sure how his mind rationalized all of this. But he called out to his servants and said, get me that woman over there. Bring her into my presence. And even remembers his servants saying, King David, that's not a good idea. That, that's Bathsheba. And she's married to Uriah the Hittite, who's out fighting for you in battle. But the tentacles of sin had wrapped around his heart. His heart began to harden to the Spirit of God. And he said, bring me that woman. So his servants did. David slept with her on that night. And then it became evident she, she became pregnant. And you'd think at that moment that God would, uh, or David, would, would come to his senses and begin to own his sin. Begin to realize that in order to get out of this hole, you got to stop digging. But no. He began to scheme. He began to plan. And maybe there's a way to cover this up. He began, came up with elaborate plans to bring Uriah home and, and, and kind of arrange that, that, that Uriah would sleep with his wife. And a big cover-up was arranged, and it just didn't happen. So ultimately, the scheme turned into a scheme to take another man's life. It was arranged that Uriah, the soldier, the Hittite, defending David and, and, and his reign, he would be brought out to the front lines where the fighting was heaviest. And then the, the commanders were instructed to pull back the troops around him, leaving Uriah exposed, and he would surely die. And he did. David was a liar. David was, was an adulterer. David was a schemer. David was a murderer. King David. Then Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet came into town, as was his custom. He would stop by. David, we'll just have coffee or something. Um, he really thought and didn't think much of it. After all, he'd kind of covered his tracks. He was good. So Nathan came in for his cup of coffee. Said, King David, I have a message. David said, let's hear it. He said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. 
The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He, he raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. At hearing this, David burned with anger. He was furious. He was raging with anger. He said, this will be made right. This poor man must be defended. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan responded, King David, you are that man. King David, you are that man. And in that moment, David broke. As he was confronted with his sin, as he was confronted with the truth, he broke. And he, his eyes were opened to his sin. That is the context. That is the background for this next track in our playlist. Psalm 51. It's a psalm of confession, a psalm of contrition. And we're going to discover, and we're going to look at that together this morning. Before we dive into the actual psalm, I want to throw out just the three uh, markers, three guiding principles that we've kind of kept in front of us as we've journeyed through our playlist. That is, first of all, the people of God have always been a praying and, and a singing people, as evidenced by the Psalms. And number two, the Psalms still exist for us today to find ourselves in them by way of how they communicate in a God-honoring way the range of emotions that people feel. And then may it be our goal this summer to align our own responses to God with the words and the heartbeat of these psalms that we'll be looking at. Because our prayer is this. As we look at Psalm 51, that these words become the lyrics of your own heart. That these words become the lyrics of your own prayer, your own response to God in your own pleading for his mercy in your time of confronting your own sinfulness. Let me just throw out one other disclaimer. I too am a sinner. I don't stand on this podium having figured it all out. I'm painfully aware of my own shortcomings. But I'm also joyfully aware of the grace of God and his mercy. And I want to share that with you this morning. 
So Psalm 51 comes with a prescript. And let's take a look at that to start us off. It says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. That's our context. You know the story. Now, this is not just a little psalm so we can uh, know a little bit of history about King David and his failings. This is not history intended for just historical purposes. This is a template that is God-given to us. It is a gift allowing us to align our responses with the Psalms in moments of confession. Because our now what is this? You can throw it up on the screen. It says, seek God and his mercy for forgiveness, transformation, and to be used by God in your relational world. Seek God and his mercy for forgiveness, transformation, and to be used by God in your relational world. Let's start at verse one. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Just even in these two verses, David uses three words for sin. His transgressions, his iniquity, his sins, blot them out, wash them away, cleanse me. Even within these short two verses, these three words, really, he throws them out just to kind of capture the totality of his sinfulness. Verse 3, for I know, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. This is not just a mental acknowledgement. Oh, yeah, I blew it. He is beginning to own and recognize his sin for what it truly is. He's experiencing sorrow. He's experiencing brokenness over his sin. Verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. That seems weird. Against you, you only have I sinned. Really? I'm pretty sure David sinned against Bathsheba. I'm pretty sure David also sinned against Uriah the Hittite. So this statement strikes me as odd. But really, when you peel back the layers, we encounter a psalm which is, which is poetry. And here David, in it, using hyperbolic language, drives home the point. Not discounting any hurt or any offense to another human being, but recognize the ultimate offense is against God, the Almighty, the Holy and Perfect One. Verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you de desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. 
in this process of, of owning his sin, recognizing sin for what it truly was and is, uh, David lands and, and, and kind of drives home the point that he is a sinner by nature and by choice. He recognizes that he was born into sin, that our sin nature started with Adam and the fall of mankind. And David recognizes that, that he is tainted by his sin nature, as am I, as are you. But he also recognizes that he's a sinner by choice. He chose to rebel against God in his sinful ways. I have chosen to rebel against God in my sinful choices. So the first place that David arrives is really recognizing his need for mercy. When he begins to see his sin for what it really is, he recognizes that I need your mercy, God. Have mercy on me. Be gracious to me, God. Have mercy. Have you owned your sin like David did? Have you come to a place of brokenness? Recognizing what sin truly is. I think most of us probably fall in, 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 in two, two, two camps when, when, it comes to, when it comes to our sin. And I think some of us are like, yeah, I, I definitely know all about my sin. I, I live with, with just this crushing weight of my sin. And I'm not experiencing the freedom of forgiveness that I find in Christ. Some of us are, are very aware and, and we feel that shame and guilt and it absolutely crushes us. And that's not God's design. On the other side, I think some of us can trivialize our sin because, well, I'm not like those people. Haven't murdered anyone. Didn't, like, steal someone's wife. And, like, we kind of compare, like, oh, I guess I'm doing pretty good. God says, no, you're not. Even your righteous deeds are like filthy rags to me. Even your good deeds don't measure up to God's standard of perfection. You are in need of God's mercy. You are in need of God's mercy. We are all in need of God's mercy. And God has extended it to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The second place David gets to is the expression of mercy when he prays, cleanse me. Cleanse me. Look at verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. That's some, that's some intense language. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And this speaks of the, the, the heavy consequences of David's sin, of our sin. God's grace is plentiful. 
David experienced cleansing and forgiveness, David also experienced some pretty heavy consequences. When David said, this, this, this rich man shall pay four times over for the, off- for the offense that he has committed. If you remember that part. And so David will lose four of his sons would be taken away from him in death. The consequences were real. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. When, when, when David prays, cleanse me, wash me, he's thinking of the temple, the tabernacle back in, in the Moses times, where in order to come before God, you have to be clean. If you were unclean, you'd have, you'd have to be ceremonially washed. And, Jesus, and, and, and David prays here, wash me, which is a prayer, God, purify me. Cleanse me, purify me. And then he prays, and blot out all my iniquities. Blot them out. This is, this is the, the picture of, uh, of record books and erasing what's been written. Erasing the ledger of wrong. Blotting it out. Blot out all my iniquities, which speaks of pardon. So he, he prays that he would be purified and pardoned. Lord, have mercy. Cleanse me. Blot out my iniquities. And I think this prayer is pretty easy to relate to, right? When we're confronted with our sin. Have you ever come to a place, and I know you have, You've just kind of been like disgusted with yourself, right? You get off the phone with customer service, and then you're like, you kind of just feel like, ah, oh, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't handle that as I should have. You laugh because you're guilty. Maybe it's a str- uh, just a, a struggle with anger. And yet another outburst. And after the dust settles, you feel like a loser. You feel rejected. You feel unclean. Maybe you've wandered down a path on, on the internet into some dark places. And you feel like a shell of yourself. Feel dirty, unclean. That's the place where David was. Crying out to God for his mercy for his cleansing. I was thinking of the TV show, Dirty Jobs. Hasn't been on in like probably 10 years, but um, Mike Rowe, and he's kind of a funny guy. He would take on 
uh, and try you know, a dirty job for a day or two, I'm, I'm not sure how long, but he would just do the nastiest jobs that, that, that people do for a living. And he would be covered in like animal guts. He would be covered in like human stuff. He would be covered in just grossness. The smells that he encountered uh, would just, you know, make him throw up. I'm sorry if this is uncomfortable for you. Um, just absolutely disgusting. I'm not sure if he's married or not, but, you know, if his wife probably, like, would tell me, why don't I just book you a room, like, and you can stay in a hotel for the next couple days and, like, detox. But really, you know, if you have one of these, you know, dirty jobs... Nothing a really good shower can't fix. Maybe like soak in the bathtub. But you're going to be all right. You'll smell good at the end. And we're very grateful for that. But it doesn't work like that with our sin. We, we can't wash ourselves. And I think sometimes we try to wash ourselves, maybe with, with some good deeds. I'll kind of balance it out. And God says this in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22. Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the sovereign Lord. Those are sobering words. Those are really tough words. The stain of your guilt is still before me. So God, what do I do? You do what David did. God, I can't, I can't wash this. This isn't coming off. I need you to cleanse me, to purify me. I need you to, to blot out my iniquities, my transgressions, to pardon me. I, there's nothing I can do to change my condition. I am helpless. Have mercy. Now, David prays for more than just pardon and, and, and purification. Third, he prays for transformation. The expression of mercy David finds in, in transformation. Love these next three verses. Verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast from me your presence. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I love that prayer. A prayer to be recreated, to be renewed. Because you see, in God's economy, only something that is broken can be made new. You can't, David didn't come to God and be like, God, um, had a little snafu. I just need some tweaks to kind of make things right. God doesn't tweak. He transforms. And I think sometimes we, we, we run to religion. And I think that is an attempt to tweak. Instead, we must run to God and his mercy in our brokenness, in our condition of not being able to, to cleanse ourselves and say, God, I need you. And God says, perfect. 
I was waiting for you. In your break, brokenness, I will make you new. It says that our hearts need recreating. And he does. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. Our spirits need renewing and sustaining. Now, this is interesting, though, in verse 11. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. This is written in the Old Testament. And the way the Holy Spirit worked was that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, was given to um, select individuals for a specific time and purpose. And that Spirit of God could be taken away when that purpose or that time had been completed, as was the case with Saul. When he sinned against God, what happened? It says the Spirit of God left Saul. Now, David, in his, in his brokenness and in his moment, is like, oh, no, God, please do not take your spirit from me. But the cool part is this. New Testament. When Jesus left to go back to the Father, he promised us the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit isn't temporary. That Holy Spirit dwells in us and isn't going anywhere. So in some ways... We don't have to worry about verse 11. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Because guess what? He's not going anywhere. He's not leaving. If you are a child of God, if you are in Christ, then the Spirit of God is in you. God doesn't tweak. He transforms. He takes something that is broken to make it new. And then, the final place that David lands is really the result, the outworking of God's mercy when he prays, use me. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. I love that. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. You see, the result of God's mercy, God transforming us from the inside out, is, is someone that God can use. And that's exactly what David prays for. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. I have very good news. I have hope for you this morning. God wants to use your story. God wants to use your story. He can redeem your past. God can work in the midst of your failure. He can bring beauty out of ashes. He is doing a work of recreating and renewal in and through you. Why? so that the people around you can see God at work. That's why it's okay for us to not have it all figured out. And we need to stop pretending that we do. How are the people around you gonna see God's mercy at work in you if you pretend you have it all together? Right? I don't have it all together. 
And I'd love for the people around me to see God's grace in me, working through me. The people in my relational world, including my own family members, my neighbors. I love that. Then he prays, deliver me from guilt. Deliver me from guilt. As I touched on earlier, some of in this room live with an enormous weight of your past. Enormous weight of shame and guilt. And that is not for you to carry. If, if you haven't written this down, memorized it, you need to. Romans 8, verse 1. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? There is no condemnation, no shame, no guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you know Jesus, there's no need to feel that shame. Those sins have been covered by his grace and mercy. You are free. You are forgiven. There is no condemnation. Don't let the enemy rob you of the freedom you have in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we experience God's mercy, when we experience the cleansing and, and blotting out of our transgressions and transformation from the inside out, renewing, recreating, using us for his purposes, our mouths will not stay quiet. Which is why in verse 15, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Open my mouth, and my lips will declare your praise of the good work you have done, O oh God. A work of mercy, a work of taking brokenness and renewing it, recreating it. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone, behold the new. Amazing promise. Verse 17 is a great finish. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. That is humility. That's humility. That's not being crushed by shame or guilt. No, it is a right understanding of who God is. It's a right understanding of who I am. And, why, and when I understand those two truths and how they relate to one another through Christ, it makes you pretty humble. And you say, God, man, I'm, I'm so, I am in need of your mercy when I've blown it. I'm in, I'm in need of your mercy when I've sinned. And I'm in need of your mercy just to follow you in obedience. It's by God's grace that I'm forgiven. It's by God's grace that I'm able to live for him. Amen? We can't do it. Our hearts are weak. Our spirits are weak. We need Christ in us. That is the only way. 
So with that said, here's our finish, or now what? Seek God. We have, continually seek God and his mercy. This is not just when you, when you kind of like, you know, super duper blown it. And you got to get into all sorts of problems. Continually seek God and his mercy for forgiveness, for transformation from the inside out, and to be used by him in our relational worlds. That's the work of God. So if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, pursue mercy. Seek him. Use Psalm 51 as the lyrics of your heart to come to God in humility, to experience freedom and transformation. Don't live with guilt. Live in freedom that is yours because of Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet this morning, these, these amazing promises that of freedom are not yours, but that can all change this morning. You too can live in freedom, freedom from shame and guilt, knowing that you are right with God. The way you respond to God when you realize that you need him, you need his mercy, we like to frame using the ABCs. A, first you gotta admit, you gotta admit that you are a sinner. Join the rest of us. We're a pretty good bunch over here. We admit that we're, we're, we're sinners and we are helpless to change our condition. We cannot do it. We are sinners that, and, and that sin separates us from God and there's nothing we can do about it. And we have to come to that moment of brokenness. B, to believe that Jesus died for that sin. His death was a sacrificial death, death on your behalf. He died in your place. But then rising again on the third day, proving that he conquered sin and death for us. See, to choose, to choose to follow him in obedience, to, to choose to follow him and to embrace his purpose and his mission for your life. And it's gonna be an incredible journey. I didn't say easy journey, but an incredible journey. That's the life you were designed to live. Would you call out for God's mercy even this morning? Privately in your heart, you can come up here, we'll pray with you, but we'd love to journey with you as you connect and respond to God. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for who you are. You are good. You are love. You are holy and perfect. And Lord, we are not. And that is a huge problem. Father God, I thank you that you solved it in the person of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would call out for mercy often. Continually seek after you and your mercy. For forgiveness we would seek you and that you would transform us from the inside out to make us more like your son, Jesus. 
And Lord, that you would use us in our relational worlds, Lord, that you can redeem our stories, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, our, our past mistakes, you, Lord, we ask you to use them. Lord, I pray that we would be um, okay with not being okay so that people around us can see the mercy of God alive in us and be drawn to that. Lord, I pray for anyone that does not know you. Lord, I pray you would open up their hearts to respond to you, even in this moment. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.